So I want to talk about QAnon again. Is that okay? Oh, yes. They're Bec- everywhere. Because the election is over. Yep. And the biggest QAnon yep. prophecy prediction out there, mm-hmm. the big one, mm-hmm. was that in fact, I mean, let's just review what 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 is, was Q, QAnon. Are you holding a big red, white, and blue Q? Why do you have that? It's a movement, man. It's the shift. I can feel it coming. Some call it the Great Awakening. You're wearing a shirt that says Q W W G One W G A. What does that mean? It means where we go, one we go all. QAnon is the people that believe in what Trump's trying to do to change our country. QAnon well. is maybe one of the biggest conspiracy theories of our day. It posits that, in fact, a lot of leading Democrats are Satanists yes. and involved in child trafficking. Yes. And in fact, that Donald Trump had been working behind the scenes with a prominent member of his cabinet, uh, cabinet or inner circle who who deigned to go out on the internet labeled Q and tell us all about this plot and how it was going to be revealed that Hillary Clinton would be arrested and Donald mm-hmm. Trump would win mm-hmm. the election and all this stuff. But he didn't, wait. Wah, he didn't wah, win the election. Wah, wah. This is Weird Religion, a podcast for people who know religion is weird, but love it anyway. I'm Leah Payne. I'm a historian, author, professor, and I'm loving the Bernie memes. <laughs> that might be my favorite part of 2021 so far, but the year is young. It is. My name is Brian Doak. I'm a professor and biblical scholar, and I would lightly commit to a UFO enthusiast group <laughs> that awaits an alien arrival and then not be horribly disappointed if it didn't happen. Yes. This week, we're going to talk about QAnon's failed prophecies about the groups of people who made up cures or cubies. <laughs> what do we call them? <laughs> Our title for this episode, the Quisappointment, is mm. not a typo. I was trying to do a thing like it's the disappointment, but with a Q instead of a D, whatever. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> we'll discuss sociological theories about failed religious predictions and whether QAnon qualifies as a religion with a nod toward an ambiguously failed prophecy in the book of Ezekiel. Mm, join us. Join us. Not only did he not win the election, but Joe Biden was actually inaugurated. Yes, to the relief of many, I think, because everyone was worried that there was going to be like more violence. More violence, more problems. Yes. So here's the question for you. I mean, put on your religious studies scholar hat, but also just be a human being here, Leo. Just Just be a person. Okay. What do you do if you're an adherent to a a, a conspiracy theory like Q (gasps) and it doesn't work? And and now it's like, we know it. Right? Well- Okay. I think about this a lot, actually, because I'm something of a specialist in groups that have these kinds of like prophetic arms Mm -hmm. that that many times like the either the major or minor details don't come true. Right. So like from a religious studies perspective, historically speaking, I just think. There are all these these um, kind of like gotcha hit pieces that have come out like, oh, I bet they're really discouraged now. Like, ha, 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 the right. QAnon people, right. like they learned their lesson. Like reveling in it. I get a little eye-rolly as a scholar because I know for a fact that you can, as a religious movement, minor or otherwise, minor or major, you mm-hmm. can definitely survive a failed um, yeah. prophecy. Like there's just, there's like too many examples to list here. What what does it take to survive a, what does it take to survive a failed prophecy? Especially when you've poured your heart into it oh, like yeah, that. Oh yeah, I know. I mean, I think, and, and well, the Bible has a lot of like prophetic stuff that may or may not 
like, you know, like communities live a long time in the Bible. Right. And so I'd love to hear your thoughts on this too. But oh, I've got, I've got an example. You've got for thoughts, later. I'm sure. Uh, an idea. <laughs> yeah. But, but I mean, what do you, what do you think it would just take psychologically or sociologically or even spiritually? Like when, when these things happen, what do people do? Do they just say, oh, I never believed in it anyway? Or do they just say, oh, it's still going to come true? Or like how, what do you do? Well, I think that like there's a lot of different strategies that people use, at least in the past, historically. Like, I mean, the, one of the things that I thought of when we first talked about QAnon way back was um, this time from our childhood. There's a, an era uh, a happening that mm -hmm. um, religion scholars will call the satanic panic. You and intense scrutiny on the activities of satanic cults. Stories of devil worship and satanic cults corrupting young minds. Unbelievable crime at the hands of satanic cults. Mm. When there was, I don't know if you remember this, but there was like this belief that the whole world, like there are, there, there's like a specific story about a, a daycare workers who were supposedly performing satanic rituals on children. Yikes. And then, but then there was like this whole, like um, in the eighties and nineties. And then there was this whole kind of mass idea that Satanism was alive and well, and children were really susceptible to it. And they could be exposed to it through things like pop culture and mm -hmm. rock and roll and particular beats of rock music and stuff like that. So this idea that there's like a satanic conspiracy that involves the youth and in some way, like mm -hmm. Satan is trying to like promote that, that is sort of, mm -hmm. that has happened before. So I was mm -hmm. kind of like, Oh, it's really interesting to see it in a 21st century context. Yeah, that it was Satanists that are really behind the, yeah. the opposition to the Q faithful. And that the people. youth are in some way in trouble. So I'm like, yeah, I mean, in the past, people will either sort of slowly distance themselves from that mm -hmm. or more likely they will double down and re- like reorganize it. Like, mm -hmm. well, it, when when the prophecy said this, it actually yeah. meant that. Right. So I wouldn't be surprised if we hear a lot of that stuff. I don't think this is over at all. Oh, what do no. you think? Well, okay. So I, I, I dredged up an article, an academic article that yes. I use in a class I teach on prophecy in mm -hmm. the Hebrew Bible. Yes. Um, and by the way, I don't want to suggest that this article is the most up-to-date article or that it's the best one. It's just, you know, sometimes when you teach, does this ever happen to you, Leo? Like you teach and you're like, I need a source for this and I need something students can read and get into that makes sense. Yeah. And it might not even be the best scholar on the issue, or it might be. It might not even be a scholar I've ever heard of, but I just, I want something that works on a teaching level and yes. that is respectable and peer reviewed. This article is like that. It is published in the Journal for the Scientific Study of Religion. It's from 1999. So cool. it's a little dated. Um, the author's name is Chris Bader. Nice. Um, okay. Chris, if you're out there, Chris was a doctoral candidate at the University of Washington um, hey. when he wrote this. Don't know where he is to now. Chris. Hat tip to Chris. But the, the, the title of the article is When Prophecy Passes Unnoticed, New Perspectives on Failed Prophecy. Mm. So I was like, okay, let's get into this because what we were talking about in the class was this issue of did, was there a sense in the biblical world that prophecy kind of had its heyday, but then that it sort of didn't work anymore mm -hmm. or that God mm -hmm. had sort of ceased speaking in this way. So two different topics, but I noticed that the article actually goes into a lot of this stuff. So I thought it'd be fun to look at this broader sociology of religion perspective. I think Dr. Bader is now at Baylor University, by He's the way. Baylor, cool. okay. What's up, Dr. Bader? What's up? Okay, so here's the thing that that he wrote, and I'm partly reviewing the article here with some quotes in it and so on, but he, he basically reviews some of the older thoughts. Like the 19, in the 1950s, the big thing was called cognitive dissonance theory. In this view, failed prophecies create serious dissonance, which mm -hmm. if you're a believer, you try to relieve it by just doubling down. You try to get converts because converts validate your faith if you're disappointed. 
Oh, okay. However, there was a problem. There was no real evidence that proved that this actually happens in communities who experience dissonance. So um, failed prophecies can affect group morale, but in, t in different ways for different reasons. And the author, um, Bader, gives three case studies from the research of others. One effect, he says, is that hardcore people stay, but more peripheral adherents leave. Another is that costs of leaving a group can be high. So even if, um, even if prophecies obviously fail, so sometimes, and then sometimes it's just bad overall. <laughs> you just Interesting. Get, and you just okay. get like loss of membership. And he pointed to Jehovah's Witnesses after a failed 1975 um, prediction. Now- That's a famous example, yes. Yeah, so, yeah. so, so in other words, okay, so I'm gonna pause here, there's more, but uh, reflections on this. One effect, hardcore people stay, but more peripheral people leave. Number two, the cost to leaving a group can be high, so people might still stay. Or it can just be a disaster. And, and, and this as opposed to the cognitive dissonance theory, um, which suggested that failed prophecies just created this dissonance, but people try to relieve it no matter what. So in these views, it's like, no, there can be different ways. Mm. Maybe some peripheral people leave. Mm -hmm. Maybe some, you know, maybe it's just a disaster and people make no attempt to even try to fix it. I think that I would agree with Dr. Bader that there's, it's more like there's just many different strategies that mm -hmm. people employ. And yeah. it probably depends on like a lot of, a lot of different aspects of whatever the context is. Like right. a lot of people in my field in American religious history are comparing this to the, what's called the great disappointment, which happened in, um, 1844. Um, yeah. Do tell. Uh, a group, what was this a group of people called the Millerites um, mm. uh, uh, believed that the world was going to end and that Jesus would return in 1844. And spoiler alert, that did not happen. Or did it? <laughs> well, <laughs> the prophecy is true. Right. <laughs> I mean, there are lots of different strategies. Like a lot of times people will say, well, he did actually return. We weren't, you know, we didn't see the way that, um, you know, we were meant to see or something like that. Right. But but I actually think that a lot of times these big events can be generative. Like they, oh. they create spinoff movements. Oh, yeah. You know, so I wouldn't be surprised. And, and the really interesting thing, and I want to hear your thoughts on this. The really interesting thing about the Q phenomenon is, be, is that it's so hard to track. Right. So it's like you can't actually tell... Espe of, especially now when it's been basically scrubbed from the internet. Where we go one, we go all. If you try to find well, stuff, they've been banned all over the place. You can't, there's <laughs> yeah. no like, there's no QAnon.com website. It's really interesting, right? Because actually I'm going to go to QAnon.com right now. You should try it. What is, what is, I didn't even do think, it while we're talking, but yeah, I think that's the one thing that's been interesting about this is like in previous versions of like, even one of the, one of the big like doomsday kind of predictions of our era, Y2K. Yep. Re remember that when people thought that the oh, world yeah. was basically well. like the internet and computers would end in the year 2000. Um, and it didn't actually happen that yep. way. And, but um, even then there were like people around, like I remember where I was on New Year's Eve around Y2K. Um, and this one is sort of mysterious in the sense that it's like, mm -hmm. who are these people? How many of them are there? We right. don't know. I mean, I think one of the reasons why the Capitol riots were so disturbing, and is that what we're calling it now? The Capitol insurrection? Riot, the I don't know. Who knows what, whatever will land on what we ought to call it. Um, but that was, I think, so disturbing to so many because a lot of people thought like, oh, this is just this tiny little like crackpot group. Right. And there were enough folks who were mobilized mm -hmm. and did something that many of them will spend 
probably many decades of their lives in federal prison. They will be that some of them are already regretting it as is I wouldn't of be their surprised. Public statements. Okay. Yeah. But here's one, here's one interesting thing you can do. If, if, if your predictions aren't coming true, you can kind of keep making new ones. And there was already an attempt at this after the election to say, and this was, this is, this is the latest QAnon lore that I could get my hands on. Okay. Um, even though, oh, by the way, QAnon.com, it's like a page not found. Oh, they, bummer. Yeah. They, they, Ooh, that even, even that in and of itself is kind of mysterious. Hmm, I like that you can't see that's it. That's right. Where, yeah. Where is it? Okay. Yeah. So one of the updates on the Q thing after Biden won the election was, okay, actually in the 1870s, there was a, de- a secret deal to end reconstruction, which created a corporation of the United States of America, which is different from the actual true oh, yeah, spiritual yeah, yeah. United States of America. And every president since then, I guess, including Trump, although that's confusing, has been president, not of the real United States, but of this corporation. And so the idea is that Joe Biden was elected and and inaugurated as president of the corporation. But on March 4th, Donald Trump will emerge as the real president of the United States. So anyway, what you see here is a pushing it forward. To yes, say. yes. So That's a keep, common strategy. It kind of keeps the dream alive, I guess, a little bit, which, you know, you could see that maybe with different predictions in Christian history from, you know, Jesus returning. And it's like, oh, no, we got it wrong, but he's returning now on this date. And so you just keep you keep moving it. Well, there is another book from from our joint childhood um, called 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Will oh, Be in I, 1988. I wish I'd kept right? that tracked. Yeah. I wish I'd kept it. And I think the, the thing is, is like, I mean, you and I have just listed off I don't know, maybe half a dozen, maybe more of these like mm. very specific moments in time where people thought something would happen yep. and it didn't. And um, I think that that a lot of journalists and maybe and probably some scholars too, I think they have this, this imaginary person in their mind mm-hmm. that is going to um, have like a kind of like a altar call conversion moment mm. where they're like, it didn't happen. Now I'm turning right. and I'm going to be, but I think what they're, what, what those kind of takes are missing. Mm. I mean, part of it is just like, ha ha, you know, I'm right. like, well, that doesn't necessarily depict the people the way that they see themselves. But I think one of the things that they're missing is like how fun that world can be. <laughs> right. Like it, it's exciting. It's a dangerous world, but it's exciting. Well, there's an article that kind of got me thinking about this. Um, it's on NPR um, uh-huh. website. It's called the QAnon storm never struck. Some supporters are wavering. Others steadfast. It's by someone named Camilla Dominoski. Camilla, I hope I'm pronouncing your name correctly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but it's a great article. It's just a great little kind of recap of some of this stuff. But, um, you know, there's a screenshot in here of kind of what some of the Q people are saying, like from one message board, like saying, holding on, but I feel really sick. The line is broken. Other people are like, have faith, trust the plan. Yeah. Someone says, I'm trying. It's a little hard, you know? Um, so Aww. it's like, there's a mixture of some real, I think you can, whether or not you're, you think that the Q thing is like dangerous and ugly or whatever, you can kind of sympathize a little bit with the heartbreak that would come from realizing that something that you poured a lot of time into isn't true. One dangerous, scary thing that kind of comes out of this um, that um, um, the author here, Camilla Dominoski, writes about is that, um, um, where am I trying to find here? Well, basically like feeling, she says, quote, feeling fooled may not lead to a return to normalcy. One researcher told NBC News that frustrated, disappointed Q followers could be prime targets for radicalization by other extremist groups like neo-Nazis. Yes. Yeah. So this, this gap in your life could leave you in search of another home, perhaps something uglier or weirder, or you look for the excitement, but it's like drugs. Now you need something harder. Yeah. I, I wouldn't be hugely surprised. I mean, 
and it's hard to know like what we saw on January 6th. Like, is that representative of Q enthusiasts? Right. Um, I'm not sure, but, but it definitely seemed like there was a big overlap between right. these neo-Nazi groups and QAnon yeah. folks. Yeah. So I think that people are right to be concerned because I mean, it, and the reason why I qualified it with, it's hard to know, you know, cause it's hard to know, like, were there many thousands of people more who didn't show up to that because they didn't think that that was like the appropriate way of performing sure. Q um, <laughs> or just couldn't do it. Or they were more like armchair Q. Adherence. Yeah. You know, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised at that, but, but I do think that, that the level of activism associated with it should be concerning and the uh, style, right? you know, I want to go back to Chris Bader's article, please um, Bader. We're back to you. Um, yes. He did his own research on a UFO cult, actually. Uh, um, there are a lot of, there are UFO cults and they do prophecies, a lot of these UFO mm-hmm, cults. And, mm-hmm. and most prophecies in these groups have to do with the arrival of UFOs. Right. Um, the author documents a case in his article where um, there was a particular woman who didn't seem to care that much if the prophecy actually came true and didn't even prepare for it to happen, the arrival of the aliens, which suggested maybe that there's an underlying sense that the community or the belonging doesn't really hinge on predictions like that. And that most group members seem to let the prophecy of like the hail Bob comet. Do you remember that? Oh, of course. That was, there was yes. a lot of, um, mm-hmm. there were, there were UFO kind of uh, cults with that or, or not cults. Um, but you know, um, I think the author does Groups. use the terminology of cults. There. I think that's a common like way of talking. Back about to our inaugural, religion. one of our inaugural episodes where we talked about the, um, the yes. issue of cult. that was we'll episode, call it a community, a community, a yeah. community. Um, they didn't really let this, prophecy thing though um really get them too upset they didn't feel any need to apologize or even explain it which led leads the author to say there are a lot of responses it's confusing um he points out that the quote new paradigm of several sociologists of religion had posited that religion is about cost and gain you try to maximize your gains and costs can't be too high but they have to be high enough that belonging means something so a key variable is tension between the in-group and the broader society if you have a high tension between the in-group and the society, you can put up with a lot of silliness or even failure within your group because you're just like, no, they're wrong, we're right. Mm -hmm. If there's a lot of tension, you get a high level of average commitment within the in-group. Now, this is the author's idea based on this research. He says, quote, in extremely low tension groups, failed prophecies should cause little or no disappointment. Therefore, members will be unlikely to perform a cost-benefit analysis that would prompt departure. They're just not committed enough, in other words. But as the group's level of tension increases, so will the disappointment caused by a failed prophecy. So the author says the UFO cult that he studied experienced low disruption at the failed prophecy because they weren't really all in. Mm -hmm. However, Mm -hmm. the Jehovah's Witness example really hurt the Jehovah's Witnesses because they had to give up a lot to be a part of that group. And if you have to give up a lot to be a part of a group and you find out that that something has failed... Now you're like super disappointed. But if you're just like, yeah, I'm into UFOs. Oh, a thing didn't come true. Who cares? Like you didn't really it's have to get, you didn't get crushed by it. In other words, I haven't read that, that article, but I do think it's interesting to think about Jehovah's witnesses as failing because I don't think that most religion scholars would think that they failed. Well, but just, just in the aftermath of the 1975 prediction yeah. that there was a loss of adherence basically. And that, oh, it, that it hurt okay. the group because if you're going to be a Jehovah's witness, maybe there's some Jehovah's witnesses, listeners out there. I don't know. You got to really be into it. Like it's a commitment. 
It's a mm-hmm. lifestyle. It's they have a you know it's a thing about holidays and blood mm-hmm. transfusion. It's mm-hmm. a big deal. It is. Whereas let's say I'm just sitting there on the internet and I'm into UFOs and I'm like, oh, there's going to be some aliens coming, and then it doesn't happen. And I'm just like, I was never really in. I didn't have to give up anything to be a mm-hmm. part of that group. Mm-hmm. I think that was that that was his idea is that the UFO group was not a high tension group with the outside world. Well, one of the things that I'll be interested to see is that um, how much so the Q folks who um, like tried to overturn the will of the American people recently. Mm-hmm. Um, they, those ones are about to find out. They probably, many of them have probably already found out that this, this is going to cost them like a fair amount. Right. <laughs> I mean, your shirt says the storm is here. Q and on. What does that mean to you? Well, I've been following all the posts since uh, October 28th on the internet from Q and right, the, the person or people who say they're Q. Right. What do you think Q is, by the way? It's an entity of 10 or less people okay, that have um, uh, I'm Bob of the government? high, high um, clearance, you know, security clearance. And how do you know that? Well, I'm just telling you, this is what it appears to be. What it appears to be. So you don't have any yeah. proof of that. That's what you're guessing it is. And you don't have any proof there, is it? We've all been uh, gathering online and talking together as as Americans and uniting and... Do you think it's maybe just to make you comfortable talking with other frustrated, sometimes yes, angry people? Yes. But maybe it's not true because there's no evidence of it. It's just stuff being talked about on the internet, right? There hasn't been any non-evidence yet. Um, and so... Even just with their families, right? Like, oh, yeah. And they've been doing this for months or years. Right. To, you know. So I'm sort of curious about what they're like... in. in I'll be curious to see and we'll see it because it'll be public record because we'll probably see a lot of public trials, mm. I would guess. Mm. It'll be interesting to see what their response is, like who will who among them will double down and then who among them will try and kind of try the armchair defense. Like I was sort of led astray. I was never really that into it. Um, so that'll be a really interesting right. thing to, to find out. I mean, one of the questions that I have about QAnon is like, is it, can we talk about it in terms of, religion like mm. is it is it a category that we should put under religious studies what i mean do, what do you think well i'm a religious studies person i think everything belongs in religious <laughs> studies i think yes, you know it does. you can say you can really make an argument that the whole world is more intelligible if we have that as a lens but um i think you know i'm fascinated I, i'm just working on something right now that tries experiments with putting it under the same umbrella that we put a lot of other groups that oh. we think of as religions. Huh. So yeah, I, I kind of want to go there. I'd like to think about it because I think it makes a lot more sense, especially if we think about it as an American religion. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but I want to be careful not to use the cult category because a lot of people are talking about it. Like we need to deprogram our parents or, mm. or whoever. And I think that sort of like, I'm not willing to put it in that category for like religion scholar ethics reasons. Mm. What do you think? Does it belong in the religion? Well, no, I'm willing to follow you with that, that anything can be, I mean, this is a fraught conversation in religious study circles constantly about what is even a religion. Uh-huh. Um, I did have something from my own field of biblical studies though, that I think is fascinating. I mean, I can summarize it quickly. It comes from the book of Ezekiel. Ooh, all right. So wheels bo- within wheels. Wheels within wheels. The book of Ezekiel, the prophet Ezekiel, just a crazy book. If you want a crazy reading experience. I actually really enjoy Ezekiel. If you that. want a wild ride, sit down and <laughs> buckle re- up, buckle up and read Ezekiel chapters one through 48 or whatever at one sitting, just do it. Mm-hmm. Um, in chapter 26, the, the prophet 
actually makes a, a prediction. The word prophecy doesn't have to mean a prediction. It can just mean a, a certain kind of speech, but sure. um, makes an actual prediction about a certain ancient king of Babylon named Nebuchadnezzar. This is in chapter 26 of Ezekiel. And he says, you know, Nebuchadnezzar is going to come against this city on the coast called Tyre, a Phoenician city, mm-hmm. and he's going to totally destroy it, take that Tyre, deal with it. Mm-hmm. A couple chapters later, however, the author acknowledges something, which is really fascinating. So Tyre really was destroyed in the ancient world, but it was destroyed by Alexander the Great mm. around the year 332, I think, or 331. And there's archaeological evidence of this. We know this. And we know that Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian king, actually never destroyed Tyre. Mm. Not at all and certainly not totally, like yeah. the prophet said. Yeah. So you're like, okay, great. Failed prophecy. Thanks a lot, Bible. But wait! Chapter 29. Um the prophet comes back. I, in fact, I want to find this and just read this exact thing. It's 29, yeah. 17 to 20. Opening up my Bible on Do my it. computer here. Um, Ezekiel 29, verse 17. Okay, here we go. In the 27th year, in the first month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came to me. Mortal, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, referring to the earlier yes. King Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon made his army labor hard against Tyre. Every head was made bald and every shoulder was rubbed bare. Yet neither he nor his army got anything from Tyre to pay for the labor that he had expended against it. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, I will give the land of Egypt to King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon and he shall carry off its wealth and despoil it and plunder it and it shall be the wages for his army. I have given him the land of Egypt as his payment for which he labored because they worked for me, says the Lord God. I mean, what to make of this? It seems like the prophet is acknowledging openly in the book, God is acknowledging mm-hmm, through through the mm-hmm. prophet that Nebuchadnezzar didn't do what God sent him to do and said would in fact happen. And thus, no worries, you didn't get your payment for your labor. I'm going to give you Egypt as a door prize for what you tried to do, which the prophet said you would totally do. Now- <laughs> Yeah, I mean, see, that actually makes a certain kind of sense to me. You know, I think that- yeah. I think that that's a great example of what we could expect from Q followers, you know, in a lot of ways. Cause it's like, well, it didn't work out, but here's a new, new dream. I mean, I think that, that that's where we have to do our homework to figure out like where people are, what is the appeal Mm -hmm. of these? I I think of Q, QAnon as like a, an overlapping network of stories and, that get at like intersecting and overlapping tastes and affinities and ideologies. And so those can be very durable is what Mm -hmm. I'm saying. So like this idea that people are going to all of a sudden come have a, I don't want to say come to Jesus moment, but like a, a sort of like, I have a really, you know, I was wrong. I think that that's less likely then it will just adapt mm-hmm. and move forward. I mean, the lesson I'm taking away from all this for now is that you can see how these movements and, and re- really religion itself is creative yes. and, and durable. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, thanks for listening, weirdos. Why did you say it so derisively? Ah, uh, it's a compliment. <laughs> it is. For extras on subjects covered in this episode and other related jokes and miscellany, do not 
not forget to follow us on the socials and visit our website, weirdreligion.com. This episode was produced by Leanne Drain and Ryan Smoke at our new studio space, The Bunker. Our theme music is by Cassie Blum and our artwork is by John Williams. A special shout out to the Wabash Center for Teaching and Learning in Theology and Religion for their support for these new episodes. Remember when you podcast, podcast with us.